Welcome back to Omni Shambles. Happy New Year to one and all. This is the podcast where we try to make sense of the Trump era and to the extent we can help point you in the right direction as the week begins. I'm Jackie Kucinich. I'm here with my co-host, Sam Stein, as well as Betsy Woodruff, our politics reporter, which is not really what she does, but, you know. (laughs) Also making her pod debut. It's a really cool title. It is a really cool title, but you're so much more than that. She does report on the politics, so... And, and of course, Aswin Tsubsang, who we can't keep away, <sighs> covers the White House. Good to be back. Really great having you back. We do love you, Swin, most of the time. <laughs> so it's been a couple weeks since we've had a podcast. I just want to quickly review some of the things that we've missed, this being the Trump era. You miss a lot if you miss, you know, a day and a half. So we have the DOD, Mattis left. We have criminal justice reform passed in the Senate. General Flynn's sentencing was postponed. The government shut down, obviously. Democrats officially took over the House. Nancy Pelosi became Speaker of the House again. Martha McSally was appointed to fill John McCain's Senate seat. American Paul Whelan was arrested in Russia on espionage charges. Trump announced several different plans involving potential troop pullout in Syria. And Elizabeth Warren announced an exploratory committee. I'm sure I'm missing like a thousand things. What is she missing? JFK blown away. And what else does she have to say? This is... Oh, my God. This is starting out so poorly. (laughs) Why did we invite him? I know. Every time. Did we we invite him? I want to start with the Marilyn Monroe lyric, but nobody would guess that. He was just sort of sleeping in the studio, and we woke him up. (laughs) But, okay, so let's start out talking about the shutdown. Swin, where are we in all this as the White House designate? At the moment, we're at a position where, for the past couple of weeks, Team Trump and the Republicans at large and the Democratic side have had close to 0% inclination or incentive to actually break the stalemate. Because both sides politically, at least on a purely superficially, viscerally political level, are getting exactly what they want. Trump gets to draw his line in the sand and say, no, until I get my big, beautiful wall, slats, concrete, steel, whatever the (laughs) hell it's supposed to be at this point, we are not budging on this. And the Democrats get to stand up to xenophobic policy and Trump's allegedly big, beautiful wall prototype or whatever. As but they're we, trying to say that the steel sluts, and we've got some sound and play in a second, that the steel sluts is actually a concession. Here we have Mick Mulvaney saying that uh, this weekend. Let me tell you, because that came up the other day in the, in the, in the private meeting with the, with, the, with the big eight, as they call them, the leaders from the House and the Senate, Republicans and Democrats, was that he was willing to agree, and he mentioned this at the Rose Garden press conference, to take a concrete wall off the table. That, that, that is, that, if that is not evidence of our willingness to, 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 to solve the problem, okay? Because again, what's driving this is the president's desire to change the conditions at the border. And if he has to give up a concrete wall and replace it with a steel fence in order to do that so that Democrats can say, see, he's not building a wall anymore, so, that should help us move so you in want the, right the headline direction. to be the What a concession. Not concrete. I'm actually kind of sympathetic with that point. Come because on, the, And the reason is that we actually do have, <laughs> of course along the have. border, hundreds of miles of this exact same yes. product. But the, but the issue that Democrats have with this concept of a border wall is not with the material in which it's built. It's with the actual edifice and structure of it. So taking concrete off the table and putting steel in its place is not actually a concession. If the racism wall were built of clay, I think liberals (laughs) would still have a similar objection to it. What did she call it, an immorality? It's kind of hard to come back from that. Well, And this is why, like, okay, so Swin's absolutely right. If you talk to folks on the Hill, there's basically zero indication that any sort of progress is being made on these discussions, in part because one side says it's an immorality, and another side says it's a barrier that's preventing us from like Ebola infested terrorists 
you know, coming over our border. If both sides are in those types of positions, it's very difficult to find common ground. But the biggest sign that we have found no progress in these negotiations is that the concession that is being made and presented publicly is concrete for steel. And I just think if that's the concession, then clearly talks are not going well. And I would gather, having talked to people, that this is going to go on for a while. Well, one of the uh, meetings between Trump, other senior staff, and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer that you and I, Sam, reported on Friday night, it was sort of a perfect emblem or uh, avatar for how people are just sort of waving and flailing wildly to simulate motion or activity on this. And sort of a microcosm into that was that during that meeting, according to sources that you and I spoke to, Trump veered off wildly during a 15-minute rant into unrelated subjects like venting about impeachment and blaming Nancy Pelosi for other people or specifically another lawmaker, not named Nancy Pelosi, or threatening to Well, before we get to impeachment, I kind of want to hit up Betsy here because I think it's important to understand what the actual problem is at the border, if there is a problem at the border. If you are concerned about people entering the United States illegally, then there is a problem and it's existed for decades. People come to the U.S. illegally. Some of them are refugees. Some of them are family units that are fleeing horrible violence. Some of them are migrants looking for jobs in the U.S. Some of them are drug traffickers. Some of them are human traffickers. Some of them are bad people. The consensus that Democrats also agree with is that border security is basically a good thing and that the federal government has a responsibility to try to dramatically reduce and mitigate people entering the United States without legal authorization. That's something that everybody, at least in Washington, generally agrees on. There can be sort of a knee-jerk reaction from some folks who are really critical of Trump to sort of suggest that there's no problems on the border and that all immigrants are, you know, moms with toddlers fleeing gang violence and there's nothing and that everything Trump's saying is baseless. That's not accurate. That said... Illegal entry to the United States has been dropping for something like a decade. The problem is, you know, to the extent that you believe people illegally entering the United States is a problem. If you believe that's a problem, it's a problem that has been going down on the macro level. There's a wall conceptually and from a policy perspective, the best way to handle this situation. What you'll hear if you talk to folks. Betsy's in... heavily financially invested in the concrete business. <laughs> I got a lot of money in Big Wall. She has Colorado <laughs> quite a bit. We what... should just disclose that up front. What you'll hear if you talk to people in the Department of Homeland Security, so like the law enforcement, national security folks whose job this is, what they'll say is border security involves going after a moving target because the ways that people come to the United States are constantly changing when you raise your defenses in one sector or one area, people will move and find other means to enter. So is just building a wall and then, you know, wiping your hands off and calling it good, is that permanently going to stop people from coming illegally to the U.S.? No, obviously. However, there are plenty of people in the border security space who think a wall or a fence or whatever, you know, steel slat construction, whatever you know you want to call it, would potentially play a role in making it harder for people to illegally enter the U.S. All right. My last question is, wouldn't it be effective, this is rhetorical, if you really cared about like illegal immigration and people coming from the southern border, wouldn't it be effective to try and increase foreign aid to countries so that they didn't create the type of 
terrible socioeconomic conditions there that compel people to flee those countries for the United States. So that's something the U.S. has been doing for a long time. But isn't our aid Um, going down now? I believe the Trump administration has talked about slashing aid to Central America. Again, if you talk to sort of DHS folks, they'll say aid, particularly to Guatemala, El Salvador and Honduras, referred to as the Northern Triangle countries where the bulk of these migrants are coming from, that aid is part of it. But you're not going to fix these problems by throwing money at them. The issues in these countries are in some ways almost intractable. And in some ways, the U.S. has contributed to them. And one thing that's important to remember that leaders from those countries and from Mexico always point out when they're talking about the migration challenges is that in the same way that people are illegally going to the United States, drug money from the U.S. is illegally going to these countries, particularly Mexico, because we buy so many drugs that are manufactured and transported by Mexican drug cartels. Lots of guns illegally go from the U.S. to Mexico. It's actually a really big problem. Like tons of guns get illegally moved. So should American, we just legalize drugs? And then American. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And then American. Is that what you're saying? Oh, yeah. Just legalize drugs. Well, get, hang on. Let Betsy finish. I mean, like, I mean, like the legalizing drugs argument is a little facile, in Ooh. part because a lot of these transnational criminal organizations that operate in northern Mexico are moving into human trafficking, human smuggling. A lot of the gangs in Central America that have wrecked countries like El Salvador and Honduras are not involved in transnational drug sales. It's not what they do. They're kind of street gangs. They do kidnapping and extortions. There's sort of like this libertarian fever dream that if we made heroin legal, all of a sudden, all of our problems will be solved. Hey, Ron Paul, look at you. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, you'll be shocked to hear legalizing heroin would not automatically make people go back to their home countries. We're going to stay on task here. You've established that there is a problem. There is a problem at the southern border. That's That's something Democrats and Republicans both believe. So why then, and this is probably a rhetorical question as well, why then is the administration trying to push the terrorists are coming over in droves on the southern border? Chris Wallace actually and Sarah Huckabee Sanders discussed this weekend where, you know, she used this number, I think it was 4,000 that they've apprehended or known terrorists or people with known terrorist affiliations coming across the border. And Chris Wallace said, actually, most of those people are coming on airplanes, not across the southern border. Swin, what are you hearing on that? For starters, in a weird way, this is a way in which Team Trump is actually very similar to Republicans of a past political area. I mean, I recall during the Obama era that all over Fox News and certain hard-right Republican lawmakers in Capitol Hill, Hezbollah is coming to attack you and invade your homes via Venezuela, and therefore the southern border, was a big conservative talking point in the late Obama era. So this idea of, oh, terrorists or Muslim terrorists or whatever are charging forth towards your home via the U.S.-Mexican border is actually something that Trump and his cronies are kind of recycling from talking points of yore. But in terms of why they're doing it now, I mean, it's just an effective scare tactic. I think Trump's so fixated on getting five billion dollars for an actual barrier when if he were offered six billion dollars for some of it will go to a barrier some of it will go to drone technology some of it will go to border patrol agents some of it go to having more lawyers down there to process the cases more quickly he wouldn't take it because for him it's all symbolic we should actually say susan collins she's a moderate from maine she was on the shows this weekend she's going to be a critical vote on this issue so let's play what she said I've always thought that the debate over what the physical barriers should be constructed of was rather bizarre. Uh, We do need to strengthen our border security. That's my point. And I think what she's saying 
actually raises an important political question, which I, you know, Jackie, you could probably weigh on this because you know the Hill. How do we get out of this? Like, honestly, how do we get out of this? Right now, it does lie a lot with Republicans and the president himself. Mitch McConnell really can't even negotiate right now because he doesn't know what the president wants other than this hard line that he's taken. But he's painted himself into a box at this point. And so, you know, I would toss it to Swin because Republicans on the Hill, especially we talked a lot about Democrats in red states last year. Now it's going to be Republicans in blue states, people like Cory Gardner, Tom Tillis, Joni Ernst in Iowa, obviously a big ag state, and someone like a Susan Collins. You have to imagine that they're going to start getting a lot of pressure from at home to get Mitch McConnell back in the room. But again, I don't know if a veto-proof majority is really where we're headed at this point in the near term. But Swin, you would have a better line than I would into if the White House is even thinking about an endgame at this point. They're starting to. As recently as late last week, they hadn't really all been invested in the endgame of this because, as I mentioned earlier, they were in the midst of this minute-to-minute, hour-by-hour in a situation where they didn't actually have to worry about the reverberating human consequences that could affect hundreds of thousands upon hundreds of thousands of people. Now, as we get further into this shutdown, which, again, the most commonly held forward phrase I keep hearing from my sources on this issue in the Trump administration is no end in sight. But as we get further into this and as the weeks drag on and on, this will start hurting more and more people to the point where it does start to feel more politically unpalatable than we see now, to the point where it will require some actual action as opposed to just staring at each other and spewing talking points. And if we get to a point, which we probably eventually will, probably not the many months or many years as Trump was floating during one of his meetings with Chuck and Nancy, as we get to the point when the government does eventually reopen. You may or may not hear the president of the United States hollering on more and more about this national emergency situation, right. which um, are we about to discuss that. So should I kick it back no, to you? We, to... Listen, I love how natural you are with the flow of the conversation there. Reading it, the stage it is on, it's, on, it's on this sheet right here. <laughs> I was Number three, say... Trump on national emergency. Shall we play that yeah. clip? <laughs> I may declare a national emergency dependent on what's going to happen over the next few days. We have a meeting. Vice President Pence and a group will be going to a certain location that you know where that is, and they'll be having another meeting. I don't expect to have anything happen at that meeting, but I think we'll have, nor does the Vice President, but I think we're going to have some very serious talks come Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We have to have border security. If we don't have border security, we're going to be crime-ridden, and it's going to get worse and worse. I intend to call the head of United States Steel and a couple of other of our great steel companies to have them come up with a plate or a design of a beautiful steel product, which we now make here, and we'll use that as our barrier. All right. Listen, there's three ways that we get out of this. This is my theory, and you can cast your ballot for which one you think works. Is this the game? No, the game is at the end. One is has a game I have a good about. One is that Trump declares his national emergency, and then this gets thrown to the courts about whether he can do what he's doing. Okay, that's one. Two is McConnell basically is like, I'm done with this. My Republicans are nervous about this, and I'm going to just bring up the bill. We'll get 100 votes. We'll do it on Yam's consent, just like they did before they left for office. It won't be 100 votes, but they'll get a veto-proof majority, and they'll be like, fine, veto it. We'll override it. We'll open the government. Three, and this is my dark horse, is someone convinces Trump that we've created this technology that is an invisible wall, impenetrable, but you can't see it, and Trump cannot talk about it 
or else he'll give up the secret technology to our adversaries. Three. Three. Twins going to go with pass, three. Pass, pass the bong. <laughs> exactly. Wow. I came up with that one late on Saturday night. Um, I don't even know where to go with that one. All right. One or two. I bet he declares an emergency. Speaking of the emergency thing, yeah. let's touch on that really quickly. Because, look, the president of the United States says a lot of things. He says a lot of crazy shit from time to time. He says a lot of things that he probably wishes he could implement but would never be able to implement and probably would never even try. Sure. The national emergency thing, there's a good chance it falls into the category. I know predictable unpredictability is a hallmark of the Trump era, but I guess we'll see soon. As you point out, there's also an even better chance that if it did come to that, and let's just take this probably empty chatter on its face as a thought experiment. If it did happen, it would probably get held up immediately in court. Oh, yeah. But that aside, if Trump and his team really did think this were a viable option and that this is a national emergency where national security, the safety of your fellow Americans is a serious concern and issue in this, then what the hell are we still doing here? Why is the government still partially shuttered? Why right. hasn't it just been declared? And why isn't he just using the military? Why haven't we declared it at any point in the past two years? Democrats and Republicans, leaders in Washington, both say that people illegally entering the United States is a problem. But there's literally no definition of the word emergency that you could use to describe the current situation at the border. If the current situation at the border is an emergency, then everything is an emergency. And this actually leads really well to the latter part of our discussion, which is, should he do that, right? Which I think we can all agree is not totally inconceivable. The reaction among Democrats and non-Democrats alike will be pretty much at 11 at that point. You would go past 10 to 11 because that would be a case where Trump takes the powers of the presidency and applies them to some sort of like policy vanity project. And I think there will be even more calls for people on the left saying we have to get him out of office because he's acting irrationally. Does anyone disagree with that? No, but I wonder if it will change any minds. I don't know that you're going to have Democratic leaders, people like Steny Hoyer, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi jumping to that because they've all pretty much said they're going to wait for the Mueller report right. on the Democratic side. But the voices that are already calling for impeachment will become louder. A lot of the people who might be described as the more senior Democrats in right. the room aren't going to go full bore. Why don't we play clip number four and then Right after that, clip number five. The first one is this new congresswoman, Rashida Tlaib. And then the next one is now majority leader, Steny Hoyer. And when your son looks at you and says, Mama, look, you won, bullies don't win. And no. I said, baby, they don't. Because we're going to go in there and we're going to impeach the mother I think that impeachment talks right now are just distractions. We'll have to see what the Mueller report says. Now, just listen yeah. to that. Just listen. <laughs> Swearing is let's, so cool. Let's just, just, let's just take a minute, everyone. <laughs> so one side is like deeply impassioned and obviously has an immense amount of fan support. Now, the second one obviously was told on Meet the Press. You're saying people didn't erupt in cheers after saying go get him. You know, but I think, honestly, if you can peer into a crystal ball, and I mean, I get this when I talk to Democrats, too. They're worried, like, four or five months down the line, and especially if Trump does stuff like this, that the base will really become agitated can with I leadership. Can I add something else on that note? Another challenge is, obviously, Democratic House leadership have been saying that they aren't going to move for any sort of impeachment until Mueller's report comes out. Right. There's a decent chance we don't get the Mueller report for another couple months. So let's just hypothetically say right. the Mueller report comes out as late as June. Okay, there's probably going to be some litigation. The Justice Department will probably try to redact parts of it. 
Jerry Nadler, who chairs the House Judiciary Committee, will sue to get the redactions lifted. Okay, so at this point, maybe we would be having impeachment proceedings in September. Oh, what else is going to be going on in September? The Democratic presidential primary. And now the entire 2020 contest is competing with the total circus of impeachment proceedings for media oxygen. Every 2020 candidate gets asked every day about impeachment. One third of them are in the Senate. And it's really the elephant in the room for Democrats is how are they simultaneously going to manage the impeachment chaos with the 2020 primary chaos? I think another thing you're going to see more of if he does, there'll be immediately be congressional investigations on the Democratic side if he calls a national emergency. That goes without saying. I would be curious to see which happens first, the courts stopping it or Democrats calling a hearing. (laughs) (laughs) Be a race. No, it's it's a big problem. I think it's going to blow up in ways that Betsy talked about. It's going to blow up even before that, though, because they can all say, for now, we're going to wait for Mueller, but there's going to be these investigations. They're going to unturn some stuff. We might, you know, find some decisions made by the Trump administration during the first two years that never became public that becomes incredibly problematic. And this is just a ticking time bomb for the party. Sam, we're running out of time. Okay, yeah, yeah. Where's your game? So this is the game. I'm going to read you something, and you have to tell me if this is a legitimate Donald Trump tweet or a fake Donald Trump tweet, okay? I literally can't wait. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Seems like a really good idea. Here we go. We're well, definitely let's... not going to regret playing this game in a Here couple we go. years. The failing New York Times has written a very inaccurate story on my success in real estate. Virtually every major developer could tell you Trump is the best at building buildings. Tall, sturdy, gold, iconic, so proud. Real. Says Swin. I don't think that's real. I don't think it's real. It's fake. Oh, wow. The the White House reporter. All right. It could have been tweeted any year. There's four of these. Okay, so here's number two. They asked me to dress as Santa Claus to open Miss Universe tonight. I'm thinking about it. Exclamation point. Real. I remember yeah, that tweet. I think, I think that's real. real. That's real. I distinctly remember reading that. <laughs> okay. okay, is this the last one? No, we have two more. Stop oh. it. <laughs> Are you allowed to impeach a president for gross incompetence? Real. I remember yes, <laughs> that happened, I think, I think 2017? No. Damn it. Why and would that, he tweet a, that as he was president? A different president. It was an Obama era. It's very real. All right, last one. Can you impeach a president for incompetence? <laughs> Sincerely, the president. <laughs> okay, come on, that would be in character if no. he did that. Right, no. He has tweeted about no. being investigated. Okay, 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 last okay. one, last one. Lindsey Graham is all over TV. Total loser, so small. But not as small as failed 47% candidate Mitt Romney, who is such a nasty man. He killed his dog like a dog. I don't think that's real. Uh, fake? Fake. What are we saying? Fake. The killing the dog. Like a dog. Yeah. But that's, that's very on brand. That's, that's not a real <laughs> Damn, story. okay. No, yeah. it's, it's... Okay, so only one miss in this entire bunch, and it was by our White House correspondent on the first one. Not bad. You guys know your Trump tweets. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. You can find us on thedailybeast.com, iTunes, and Google Play. Talk to you guys next week. 